0: People can and do ask questions out of a variety of motivations. Sometimes people's questions are sincere. Sometimes they are argumentative. And sometimes those questions are intended to undermine a person's credibility with the hope that it will cause others to question that credibility as well. Such is the question that is asked this morning by the Pharisees of the disciples. Why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? It is raised with a sneer and a disgust. Why would anyone who portrays themselves as one who cares about righteousness and about the truth of God, why in the world would they allow themselves to be seen eating with the likes of tax collectors and sinners? That's the question of the Pharisees this morning. Last week, we saw that Jesus' authority extended not just to healing diseases, not just to calming winds and seas, and not just to casting out demons, but his authority extended even to the ability to forgive sins. And so we had the situation in which that paralytic man was lay, was let down through an opening in a roof in order for Jesus to heal him but to everyone's surprise before he healed him Jesus said your sins are forgiven this morning we look at now a passage that practically teaches us what it means for sins to be forgiven. A practical illustration of Jesus administering forgiveness. So we look at various scenes from Matthew chapter 9. The opening scene is Jesus' calling Matthew to follow him. In your bulletin, you'll notice the uh, insert, and uh, there we have our passage in Matthew and the parallel passage in Mark and Luke, for we are going to derive some points from the parallel passages as well. But first, Jesus called Matthew to follow him. Notice Matthew 9:9. And as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax office, and he, that is Jesus, said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. So Jesus sees a man, and totally initiated by Jesus, Matthew doesn't appear to do anything or seek anything from Jesus, but totally initiated by Jesus, Jesus calls Matthew to follow him. And that call is issued specifically to Matthew. Elsewhere, he is referred to as Levi, Mark 2.14. And he passed by. He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax office. And um, again, in Luke chapter 5, verse 27. And after he went out and noticed a tax gatherer named Levi. He is called Matthew, in our text, to speak of the tremendous change brought about in his life through the work of. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as a Cephas becomes a Peter, and Saul becomes a Paul, Levi becomes a Matthew. It speaks of his transformation of life. The word Matthew means a gift of Jehovah. How great was that transformation? in the life of Levi that now he is called Matthew. Well, in our text in Luke chapter five, verse 28, it says, and he, that is Levi or Matthew, left everything behind and rose and began to follow him. So he immediately left everything and then he started on a pilgrimage of following Jesus. This Levi, or Matthew, becomes one of the 12 apostles. He is the author of the gospel that we are studying, the gospel of Matthew. We are studying his book. Matthew chapter 10, verses 2 and 3 says, Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. The first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector. This Matthew obeys the call to follow Jesus. Jesus says, follow me. And immediately, our text says, he left everything behind. Meaning, No longer a tax collector. At that moment, his life changed, and changed dramatically. It didn't change completely. It was the beginning of a change. For as it says in Luke chapter 5, verse 28, and began to follow Jesus. His life now is going to be an interesting pilgrimage of literally... Going where Jesus went, learning more about Jesus, understanding more of his claims, and coming into greater conformity to the mind and will of the Lord Jesus Christ. The scripture teaches that if a person comes into a saving relationship to Jesus Christ, there is a wonderful transformation in that individual's life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If a man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. And such is the case in the life of Matthew. Now we look at a second scene to see just how that change manifested itself in the life of Matthew. Jesus is now in the home of Matthew eating dinner. Matthew chapter 9, verse 10. And it happened that as he, that is Jesus, was reclining at the table in the house. The house, according to Luke chapter 5, verse 29, is in fact Levi or Matthew's home. So Jesus is now in Matthew's house. How did Jesus come to be there? The answer is given to us in Luke chapter 5 verse 29. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. So this Levi, this Matthew, has a banquet in honor of Jesus Christ. A reception for him. It was for Jesus, and it was to honor him. Matthew is evidently a rather well-to-do individual, as many of the tax collectors were in that era, and he now uses those monies to throw a party, if you will, in honor of Jesus. How did the Tax collectors and sinners come to be there. Mark chapter 2, verse 15 gives us a glimpse into that answer. And it came about that as he was reclining at the table in his house, and many tax gatherers and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them and... They were following him. There were many of them, and they were following Jesus. It would appear that there is a considerable amount of time lapse between the initial verses of Matthew chapter 9, namely that call to follow Jesus and this banquet. There must have been days that that passed. Matthew is interested in presenting for us themes, and uh, I've stressed that time and time again, so there are, there are time lapses uh, in these accounts and so some time has elapsed, and this Matthew evidently went on an evangelistic tour with his former co-workers, and friends. And as a result of Matthew's testimony, there were now many of his former friends who were now seeking to follow Jesus as well. As well. Which is very interesting in the fact that it says that he left All. He left his former lifestyle, but he didn't leave his former friends. But now his association with them was on a different level. Here were business acquaintances, friends that he had gotten to know because they were in the same line of work that he was, and he reached out to them. And prepared them to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he brings them into association with Jesus. This was a cause of incredible rejoicing. How excited people should have been to think of these tax collectors and sinners putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But, of course, the Pharisees did not rejoice in the forgiveness that these individuals were receiving. They didn't find it an occasion to celebrate or to give thanks or to be happy. Rather, they saw it as an occasion to find fault. And so they asked the question, Why? is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners. Which brings us to the third scene. The Pharisees seek to undermine Jesus' ministry by raising doubts in the minds of the disciples concerning the appropriateness of Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. It is an obvious indignation on their part. And the Pharisees and the scribes are seeking to bring reproach to the Lord Jesus, and therefore approach the disciples. Notice Matthew chapter 9, verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples. They don't come directly to Jesus. Now we do have in Luke chapter 5, where both Jesus and the disciples are included, but it would appear that primarily they are addressing the disciples, for they're not really interested in the, in the answer. They're not sincerely seeking understanding of what is going on here. They are just trying to undermine, once again, the ministry of Jesus. They're trying to raise doubts in the minds of the disciples. Why would your master do this? It's inappropriate. It is unacceptable. It's not right. The specific area of doubt is, Why doesn't he practice separation? If your master is righteous, then why would he associate himself with tax collectors and sinners? This isn't the only occasion in which this question is broached or this concern is demonstrated. In Luke chapter 15, verse 2, it says, In both the Pharisees and the scribes, began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Eating for the Jewish people was of great importance. The Jews would not defile themselves by eating with Gentiles and by eating with those that were known Sinners that had very bad reputations, and those that were tax collectors. And out of those three groups, namely Gentiles and gross sinners, the worst of the lot, in the view of the Pharisees, were the uh, tax collectors. And the reason that they were the worst of the lot was because of three things. First, they associated themselves with Gentiles. Uh, They worked for the Roman government. They were collecting taxes for Caesar. The Pharisees viewed them as treasonous, supporting this awful regime in hands with the government of Rome. Number two, they were considered scoundrels, Because the way tax collectors were paid in that particular era was that they had to raise a certain amount of taxes. Taxes were levied. But after the taxes were levied, the tax collector could actually raise any amount of money that he wanted to, as much as he thought he could get away with. And everything over what was required by Rome, he could pocket. His commission, if you will. And so he was profiting from his Jewish kinsmen by exploiting them and taking from them even more taxes than were required. So they were a hated and despised group of individuals. Why then would Jesus eat with these tax collectors and sinners knowing that it was going to infuriate the Pharisees and raise religious questions and also shed doubt On his own personal character. Why would he do that? Answer, because it was the right thing to do. It was the right thing to do. Why was it the right thing to do? Scene four. Jesus responds to the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus is aware of the question... That the scribes and Pharisees raise. And so Jesus responds, and he responds initially with a proverbial statement, verse 12. But when he heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. Now, what is meant by that is explained in the last part of verse 13. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So in this analogy, the healthy are the righteous, the sick are the sinners. Jesus is the physician who takes away sin. So follow the progression in the book of Matthew. Last week, we saw the incident of this individual who's coming... To Jesus, he's a paralytic, carried on a bed, can't walk, let down through the ceiling by his friends. Jesus looks at this man, knowing this man's faith, says, your sins are forgiven you. Boy, that upsets the scribes and the Pharisees. Who is he to forgive sins? Then he says, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you, or rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you might know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. I say to you, rise and take up your bed and walk. So that you might know that he has the authority to forgive sins. Now Matthew uses his own conversion and his own experience to help us to see what is encompassed in that forgiveness. What happens when Jesus forgives us our sins? I have been stressing on Sunday nights And we'll again this evening look at still another factor of what it means for the gospel to uh, change our hearts and lives. And I've been emphasizing that through the gospel, we are reconciled to God and others. That truth is now being lived out at a banquet in which Jesus is purposefully demonstrating that through faith in him, they have been reconciled to Jesus and they have been reconciled to one another. Jesus takes away their sin. We are not to understand by his statement that the Pharisees are righteous and do not need forgiveness. Rather we are to understand that Jesus came to bring the unrighteous into fellowship with himself and his disciples. True love for God is manifested in rejoicing and celebration over what God does in the life of an individual. Notice Matthew 9:13, but go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and that sacrifice. He doesn't want just outward wooden allegiance to himself. But he wants a heart that's transformed and is in a new relationship to himself. I have been stressing on Sunday nights that the very essence of sin is a failure to love God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind, and secondly, to love our neighbor as ourself. Because we find in the book of Matthew that the first great commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. These Pharisees failed to love God and they failed to love others as themselves. They went through this wooden process of Offering sacrifices, but their lives weren't transformed. Jesus came to transform lives, and transform them He did. And so we have this quotation from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. Therefore, as in the preceding portion of Scripture, we are brought to the centrality of the forgiveness of sin in the ministry of Jesus. It is for this reason that He comes to call sinners and that sinners are often the quickest to respond to him. Jesus said in Matthew 21, 31, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. It was intended to be a rebuke. These tax collectors and sinners wanted to be reconciled to God and others. They knew that they were outcasts. They were reminded of that every single day. They knew that people of reputation wanted nothing to do with them. They knew that nobody wanted to eat with them. They knew that they were on the outside looking in. Now Jesus comes and tells them how they can be on the inside. How they can be made right with God and be made right with each other. And they welcome that message. And they acknowledge their sinfulness. And they come and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and when he does... That reconciliation which he proclaimed is experienced. He invites them to sit down at table with him and to celebrate and to be welcomed into the presence of Jesus and his disciples. Here is a practical manifestation of a great Theological truth. Turn with me back to Matthew chapter 8. Give you the context. Matthew chapter 8, starting at verse 1. No, excuse me, Matthew chapter 8, starting verse 5. Matthew 8, 5. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, remember, he's in Capernaum again in the chapter that we're, we are in. That's where Matthew is. That's where Matthew's house is. Verse 5. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. I'm not worthy for you to be in my house. This centurion is a soldier. He is a Roman. He knows how he is viewed by the Gentiles. And he says to Jesus, Jesus offers to come to this man's house, and he says, Jesus, I am not worthy for you to come to my house. Don't come under my roof. Then he goes on to say this. Verse 8. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Jesus' response, verse 10. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, First, truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I have not found an Israelite who understands my authority like this man does. Then he says, verse 11, I say to you, that many will come from east and west, now notice these words, and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I tell you, there is going to be a future death. Men are going to come from the east, men are going to come from the west, they are going to come from all over. And they are going to recline and eat with Abraham, with Isaac, and Jacob. It's a picture of the great feasting in God's kingdom. Even as there is a great marriage of the Lamb, the book of Revelation is filled with this imagery of being welcomed and feasting with the Son of God. He said, I tell you a truth. Men are going to come from everywhere and eat with the people of God. Here is a practical example of a little taste of heaven on earth. A little foreshadowing of what is going to take place. The reality of it all where Jesus now reclines at table with tax collectors and sinners while these Pharisees stand at a distance and grumble. I have not found such faith in Israel. Second, element that really sets this narrative apart that is very striking to me is that it says that the reason that these tax collectors and sinners are there is because they are following Jesus. In all the accounts leading up to this, there's progression in the book of Matthew, And all the accounts leading up to this, people have come to be physically healed. This is the first occasion where people are gathered and are celebrating not physical healing, but spiritual healing. Where they are coming and celebrating the fact that they have been forgiven their sins. Jesus said, the physician comes not for the sake of the healthy, but for the sake of the sick. Jesus then says, I have come not for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. The Pharisees viewed themselves as healthy. They viewed themselves as not in need of Jesus' forgiveness. They viewed themselves as acceptable when they should have viewed themselves as unacceptable. They should have viewed themselves as unworthy of Jesus entering their presence, as the centurion did. But they have the audacity, they have the audacity Not to submit and ask for forgiveness to be in the presence of Jesus, but to find fault with Jesus for being in the presence of sinners. Little did they know the grace of God that he was in the presence of them. For they were greater sinners than the collectors and sinners because they had repented. And the Pharisees had not. Here is theological truth put into practice. Here is the true meaning of what it means to be forgiven. They are reconciled to Jesus and they are reconciled to one another. It's a lesson that is hard to learn and unfortunately has to be learned repeatedly by the disciples. Repeatedly during the earthly ministry of Jesus, then repeatedly after Jesus died and ascended into heaven. Remember the story in the book of Acts. Cornelius, a Gentile, who is converted. And uh, in order to prepare Peter for what is about to take place, Peter has a vision. And in that vision, there is a sheep that comes down out of heaven filled with all kinds of unclean animals. And Peter is told to rise and eat and Peter says, But Lord, I've never eaten anything that is unclean. And Jesus says, What I've called clean, don't you call unclean. It was to prepare him to go and meet with Cornelius and to eat with him. Number of years later, the gospel is spreading, it's spreading to Gentiles. It, spread, it spreads to the area of Galatia. It comes to Antioch. Peter, uh, excuse me, Paul, uh, excuse me, Barnabas was sent to Antioch. Then Paul is sent to Antioch to minister to these Gentiles. I pick it up in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. But when Cephas, of course Peter, "'came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, "'because he stood condemned. "'For prior to the coming of certain men from James, "'he used to eat with the Gentiles. "'But when they came, he began to withdraw "'and hold himself aloof, "'fearing the party of the circumcision. "'And the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, "'with the result that even Barnabas "'was carried away by their hypocrisy. "'But when I saw that they were not straightforward "'about the truth of the gospel,' Not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. I said to Cephas, in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? Paul said, the gospel is at stake. The truth of God's word. Peter, who had a vision. Peter, Who knew better was going to withdraw himself and not eat with the Gentiles. Even Barnabas gets carried away with that hypocrisy. And the Apostle Paul stands up and says, You are not living in keeping with the truth of the gospel. These brothers are forgiven. These brothers are accepted by God. If God accepts them, who are we to reject them? That's the truth of the gospel. Any son of God, any daughter of God, is a brother and sister to you and me there is to be no difference. There is not to be looking down our nose at anyone. There is not to be any separation, any unwillingness to fully identify with anyone, regardless of their race, ethnicity, culture, Background, whatever color of their skin, whatever their dialect, whether Hispanic, whatever the situation may be. And beyond that, no matter what their former lifestyle was. No matter how egregious a sinner, for them, tax collectors sinners prostitutes in our culture probably homosexuality transgender whatever if people are forgiven they are our brothers and sisters in Christ And most importantly, they can be forgiven. They can be forgiven. We have such a wonderful, redemptive message to give. That people's sins, no matter what they are, can be forgiven. And in that forgiveness... They enjoy a right relationship with God and a right relationship with his people. We have a unique opportunity. Cultures don't change that much over the years. Jesus came and said, it's not the It's not the healthy that need a physician, it's the sick. He then interpreted that, not the righteous, but the sinner. That does not mean that there is anyone who doesn't need forgiveness and who doesn't need a right relationship with God. But it does mean there are a whole lot of people that think they're righteous and don't think they need a right relationship with God. They're very happy. Jesus said that the tax collector and the prostitute will enter the kingdom before you, meaning they're going to be ready. Some of the outcasts of our society, humanly speaking, are the people most primed and ready for the gospel. There are people out there that are desperately seeking to be accepted and welcomed into good society. Who view and know themselves to be outcasts. who are reminded on a constant basis of their sinfulness and don't know what to do. And we have this wonderful gospel of how their sins can be forgiven, how they can be right with God and a productive member of society. Here in this passage, Matthew is reaching his own. It's not the other disciples, it's Matthew who's brought these people to this house, and they're celebrating. The Pharisees aren't even asked. to reach these people. They're only asked to celebrate and rejoice that lives are being changed. I ask you, in this generation, where it would seem a misguided church loves to demean and deplore and put down segments of our society that are, yes, sick with sin. And yes, desperately in need of a Savior. But I think, unfortunately, fails to rejoice when people come to faith and welcome them Into full fellowship and communion. May we rejoice in the salvation of all. And may we give great praise and honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to seek and to save those who were lost. And may our hearts leap with joy at the happiness of these individuals with transformed lives. And then in humility, may we bow and thank God, for we too were sinners in need of forgiveness. And he forgave me and welcomed me and put me in a community of faith where people uphold me and support me and encourage me. Jesus forgives sin. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for a practical, demonstrable life-transforming act to teach us of what goes on in heaven is to be tasted on this earth and just as people are going to come from the north and the south and east and the west to recline at table with you so they are coming now just as we are going to rejoice in your presence with people of every tongue and tribe and people and nation and we say that, and we say it with such joy. Oh, Lord, may that manifest itself in our lives this very day. Right now, may we celebrate people of every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. Every background, every sinful lifestyle. Forgiven, transformed, renewed by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to give you honor and glory and praise and seek to further your gospel, your kingdom, to extend it to the uttermost parts of this earth, bringing transformation to this sin-sick world in the only way that it's going to come, through apprehension of the truth of Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray, amen.